chapter. We have the second half of the chapter today, another long passage of Scripture. We're going to go ahead and and, uh, read this now. Daniel 2, starting at verse 24 through the end of the chapter. It's a long passage. Listen uh, carefully. This is uh, God's word for us today. Therefore, Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. King declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and exceeding brightness, and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, the stone was cut out by no human hand, And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king... Its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. 
as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again we have come to your word. We ask that you enable us to come with ears that hear and hearts that are open to receive. We ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you enable us to understand what is happening in this text and what is the truth to be found here that you want us to hear and understand and respond to in faith. Do this in and for each one of us this morning in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Can I have the slide? That is the Domo in Milan, Italy. It is the second largest Christian church in the Western world, second only to St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. It was started in 1386, finished 125 years later in 1510. And it was built to hold the entire population of Milan at the time, some 40,000 people. It's covered with magnificent carvings and statues and brilliant white marble. You can see some of that marble chipped off a piece while I was there. They sold it in the little bookstore. uh, And it is truly amazing to look at. You you either come up out of the subway or out of one of the uh, adjacent uh, buildings. There's a giant shopping mall actually right next to it in this ancient building. And you walk out and it's just there in front of you. And everybody just sort of stops. And it's like, whoa. And it's amazing. And you're sort of left speechless when you first see it. And you realize, we just don't make things like that anymore. And it has several huge gates you can see in the front. And they were doing some construction when this picture was taken. They had scaffolding. And unlike in America, uh, they actually put something over the scaffolding And they take a picture of it. So on one side, you see a picture of what's behind. And of course, you have the advertisement for the company that's paying for it. 
Um, but there's several huge gates, giant bronze doors that lead into this great cathedral. And over each gate is a Latin inscription uh, uh, carved into the marble. And over one of the gates uh, on the left side is an inscription under a beautiful floral bouquet that says, the things that please us are temporary. And over another gate uh, is a cross with an inscription, the things that disturb us are temporary. But over this large central gate, there is an even larger inscription that says, the things that are important are eternal. There's a lesson just carved into the marble there. And as Daniel, in our passage today, shares with Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of the king's dream, he revealed that God had shown him many kingdoms would rise and fall. And as mighty and as magnificent as Babylon was under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, it would someday be replaced by another magnificent kingdom. Yet even this kingdom would come to an end and others would rise after it. Finally, however, God would set up his kingdom, which would last forever. And it's easy to get caught up in the things that are here today, but gone tomorrow. They look so solid and permanent, yet they're temporary and ultimately inconsequential. And thus we find ourselves often chasing changing fads and grasping at straws as they're blown about by the wind. And only when we fix our hearts and minds on the things of God do we find true stability. Neither the things that please you nor the things that disturb you last forever. The message we see carved in the mind and the marble is to fix your mind on things above. Invest in things that are eternal. Because when you look to God and his kingdom, you look to what really matters. Thank you. You can take that slide down. And ultimately, that's the point of our passage. Is the things that are important, God and his kingdom, are what's eternal. Those are the things that last forever. Before we get too far in the text, let's remind ourselves again quickly of the context. And of course, the context of the book of Daniel is the Babylonian exile. One of the two great defining events in the history of Israel, with the exodus being the other. And God brought about this exile as a means of judgment because of unfathomable repeated sin. And that's where our story starts in 605 B.C., six centuries before Christ the uh, Jews found themselves being deported to Babylon, sent into exile. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had an expansionist plan to take over all of the ancient Near East. And Jerusalem is key terrain, as we would say, in the military. And so that was one of his first targets. However, the exile, according to God's own prophets, was God's punishment against Israel's sin and rebellion, and that's part of the key to understanding the book of Daniel and his view of the sovereignty of God. And so the exile is where our story starts. Daniel, again, is familiar and unfamiliar. We know the story of Daniel in the lion's den and of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. We'll look at that story next week. And they're still fairly well known even today. We've all, all been taught that the book of Daniel is about living faithfully 
in the midst of an unbelieving culture, and that's true. Daniel does teach that. But it's not the main point of the book. And I'm going to keep telling you that over and over and over as we go through. We are going to be reminded that there is one greater than Daniel, one who perfectly lived an exilic life of service and separation for us, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the high point of the book of Daniel comes in chapter 7 with a vision of the exalted Son of Man who takes flesh among us in the person of Jesus Christ. So the book of Daniel ultimately is not about us, and it's not about Daniel. It's about a sovereign God and the coming of the kingdom. To recap the events of Daniel chapter 2 so far, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had a dream, and he summoned his wise men to interpret the dream for him, but he refused to tell them what the dream was. Uh, They didn't take kindly uh, to this uh, turn of events, and uh, they declared this task uh, impossible. They said the God who gives such dreams, uh, the God, small g, who gives such dreams, don't live among men and don't reveal these mysteries to men. And in his rage at their inability to tell him his dream and to interpret his dream, Nebuchadnezzar sentences all the wise men to death, which includes Daniel and his friends. But when Daniel learns of this decree, he asks the king uh, for a time to come to see him. And uh, then he goes to the Lord in prayer, along with his friends, seeking both the dream and its interpretation. The Lord answers this prayer, gives the dream and its interpretation to Daniel in a vision, and Daniel responds with praise for the God of heaven. And that's where our story uh, has gone so far. That brings us up to date. With that in mind, let's continue our study of Daniel chapter 2. First, we're going to see the dream explained. The dream explained, verses 24 through 30. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. King declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king And you may know the thoughts of your mind. The first thing we should note here is Daniel's manner in approaching the king, which is to deflect all credit from himself to the Lord. Daniel's humility here is contrasted with Arioch, the commander of the king's guard. Arioch kind of takes some credit for what's happening. Verse 
25, he says, I have found among the exiles uh, from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. And actually, Harioch did nothing from, of the sort. He was ready to execute Daniel along with the rest of the wise men. And it was Daniel who went and found Arioch, not the other way around. And yet Arioch was eager to claim some of the credit. And that's how the world works, isn't it? Pass on the blame, claim the credit, regardless who, who actually did the work. But when Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel about this in verse 26, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen in its interpretation? Daniel could have easily said, yes, I can make it known. Aren't you glad I'm on your side? Lucky king. And he could have claimed all the credit for himself. But instead, he says, verse 27, no wise men, enchanter, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the God has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Instead of promoting himself, he takes the opportunity to publicly exalt the God of heaven as the revealer of mysteries. And he references that, verse 29, who he, who, he who reveals mysteries may known to you what is to be. And in verse 30, this mystery has been revealed to me. There's a model here for all our relationships with folks who don't know God. In contrast to the self-promoting way of the world, which actually many Christians seem to excel at, uh, we should be alert for opportunities to publicly praise and exalt the God of heaven. It's not that, hey, I know what's going on, but God in heaven is the one who reveals these things. The biblical word for this attitude is humility, a perspective uh, that sees our true size in comparison with the greatness of God. And it's this sort of sincere humility we see in Daniel's life. But ba- Daniel doesn't stop by merely telling uh, the king of God's greatness. He goes on to prove it, and we see the dream recited. Verses 31 through 35, the dream recited. It says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold. Its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, the stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, so not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So Daniel then recounts to Nebuchadnezzar his dream, which is precisely what his Babylonian wise men claimed was impossible. The dream is actually quite simple and yet at the same time incredibly profound. And what Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream is an enormous statue of a man made up of four parts. You have an insert in your bulletin that shows one possible image of what this might have looked like. There's a better image up here on uh, one of the banners that Louise Gross made for this series. And if you're on this side and can't see it, I encourage you afterwards to come over and take a look at it. It, It's uh, a really good uh, image of 
this dream. The statue had a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, torso and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet of iron mixed with clay. And while Nebuchadnezzar is watching, a rock is cut out, not by human means. The rock strikes the statue on the feet. The whole thing disintegrates into pieces and the wind blows it away. And meanwhile, the rock grew into a great mountain and fills the earth. And so that's the dream. And it's strange and exciting at the same time. Having described the dream, Daniel then goes on and presents the king with the dream interpreted. With the dream interpreted, verses 36 to 45. This is the longest uh, part of our passage. He says, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and to whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold. It says, Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, so another kingdom is the kingdom of silver, then a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And then there'll be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will not mix with one another in marriage. They will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever." Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Now Daniel interprets the image of the statue as follows. The head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar himself. Verse 37. To whom... Uh, He says, the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory. And after Nebuchadnezzar's time, there would be more kingdoms. And most scholars identify these as Persia, uh, Medo-Persia, some say, Medes and the Persians. Uh, the, The next kingdom would be Greece, and finally the fourth kingdom would be Rome, the other great kingdoms of the ancient world. So the diagram uh, shows on your bulletin insert. The truth is, however, we don't really know. The text doesn't explicitly say. And it also somewhat belies a Western-centric view of the world. There are certainly other great kingdoms in China, India, Africa, and Latin America. And I think to dwell too long on what the kingdoms are and what they will do and what happened to them... Uh, is sort of to miss the point of the interpretation. I spent a lot of time reading commentaries saying they missed the point. Because they said, this was Rome. 
And it's a divided kingdom because it had two legs and it had ten toes. And those are uh, all the provinces of Rome and other countries that were under Rome. And this all stuff happened to him. That's not the point of what Daniel is saying. So that he's saying, uh, okay, hundreds of years from now, there'll be this great kingdom called Rome. And it's going to look like this and do all this stuff. And we get sort of mixed up and lost in that. I think when we dwell on each of those kingdoms and what they do and what happens to them, we're missing the point of what Daniel's bringing to us. The interpretation that Daniel gives, which he received from God, each of these kingdoms is inferior to the one that went before it, though they're still strong and powerful. And the last of these kingdoms is as strong as iron, yet in the end it will be proved to be an unstable composite that cannot hold together. And at that time, God will establish his kingdom, which will ultimately destroy all other kingdoms. And if it is Rome, and certainly Jesus came during the time of the Roman kingdom, that does tend to fit together chronologically. But God will establish his kingdom, which will destroy all the other kingdoms. And though it starts small, it will grow to fill all the earth. And unlike the earthly kingdoms, it will endure forever. And this passage gives us very little data about the specifics of any of these kingdoms. It just says they will be and they won't last. And after this, there'll be another kingdom and it will be and it won't last. And after this, there'll be another kingdom. But it's not going to last. I think what we're getting here is a philosophy of history not a precise analysis of history. The focus here is on what the future holds. What happens to future kingdoms, all future kingdoms, rather than exactly who, what, where, when, and how. And there's lessons uh, to be learned here so far. So we're kind of going to take a little break and look at the application. What is some of the uh, lessons that we can learn uh, from a very complex, very difficult, very different passage? What is this seeking to teach us? And I think there are several things, but primarily that empires rise and fall. The glory and power of every earthly kingdom comes from God. It doesn't come about because of their own strength, but because God puts it into their hands. Verse 37 tells us Nebuchadnezzar, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. And yet we saw back in verse 21 last week that he removes kings and sets up kings. And one of the central features of this dream is that all worldly authorities are transient. They're temporal. They all have an end. They all have a after this. No earthly kingdom lasts forever. The gold gives way to silver, the silver to bronze, the bronze to iron. The final kingdom in the sequence is not only inferior in glory to the first, it's iron compared to gold, it's inferior in unity as well. It's iron mixed with clay, an uneven mixture that cannot hold together. The one constant among all these earthly kingdoms is their lust for power. They all desire to dominate and to rule, but in the end all their ambitions are frustrated. The kingdoms of this world, however glorious or powerful they seem, 
all have feet of clay and they will not stand. And the depiction of these uh, changing and ultimately failing kingdoms stands in stark contrast to what will replace them. The kingdom of God enters the chaos and the hopelessness of human history and brings new hope to humanity. God gets the last word, and it doesn't lie with a new improved version of a statue of a man. It lies with something radical that God is going to do. Verse 34, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the stone that struck the image will become a great mountain and fill the whole earth. God's kingdom will be established and through the power of God grow to a great mountain and become the kingdom that is forever and ever. Even so, we shouldn't let the future focus of the coming of the kingdom that we see in this passage uh, obscure the message that's also found here about serving the community here and now. It's not coincidental that chapter ends with Daniel being honored. We see that verses 46 to 49, Daniel honored. We have uh, Daniel's going to explain the dream. He's going to recite the dream. He interprets the dream. And now Nebuchadnezzar honors him. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Daniel and his friends end up being promoted into positions of great responsibility in the Babylonian kingdom. They didn't isolate themselves from the kingdom of this world as they waited for God to establish his kingdom. Rather, they poured themselves into seeking the welfare of their temporary home in Babylon. They had the attitude of seeking the peace and prosperity of their present land, even though it wasn't their land, and it certainly wasn't the city of God. And actually, this is exactly what the prophet Jeremiah told the exiles in Babylon to do. When he wrote to them with a word from the Lord, Jeremiah 29, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And I read that, and I think we need to take way more seriously our duty to pursue the blessing of the earthly community in which we find ourselves. However, there's two dangers here. One is we get so fixated on the return of Christ and on the coming of his kingdom that we utterly ignore the world in which we live. We pay no attention to the culture. Uh, we pay no attention to what it's doing to us, what it's doing to our children, what it's doing to our community, because we know, rightly so, that it's not going to last. 
On the other hand, many of us have made transforming our culture into an idolatrous pursuit, so much so that God has become secondary to us. The main thing is to fix the culture. And we can get so wrapped up in that. And that's a good thing. We're supposed to, I believe, transform our culture. But when that becomes so much more important than serving God and following God and worshiping God, it becomes idolatrous. And I think there's a good chunk of the Christian community that is in that camp and doesn't even realize it. So there's two dangers on both sides. We, uh, sometimes we forget that the world is not our home, that we're in exile here on earth and our true citizenship is in heaven. And there's a city of God and a city of man and a faithful reading of the Bible doesn't allow us to disregard either of them. Yet in the midst of serving God in this world, we cannot forget our primary calling is to bow down in worship. Certainly this is Nebuchadnezzar's response, and we wouldn't put him in the classification of of some great believer, some great saint from 2,600 years ago. We're going to see more stuff that certainly will take that notion out of your head. And yet here he fell upon his face and he says these words to Daniel. Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. And you read this and that ought to be our response. Our response should not be, Daniel got it right. He picked the right kingdoms and he figured it all out. And all this cool stuff is going to happen and we need to know exactly what all of it is. Our response ought to be, there is a God in heaven who is a revealer of mysteries. As Handel's Messiah so gloriously reminds us, there's only one appropriate response when you get to that great declaration, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And that response is, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And if you read Daniel 2, and you're not left with, there is a God in heaven. He reveals mysteries. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah. Then you're missing the point. And as we've seen so far, there's a final note here that we cannot afford to miss in this. And that's the reminder that it is Jesus Christ who is the rock of God. The rock in this picture is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came proclaiming, Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. <coughs> then in Luke 20, if you remember, he tells the parable of the son of the vineyard owner whom the tenants in the vineyard rejected and then killed. In that parable, he quotes Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then he adds, Luke 20, verse 18. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And the last words in that parable implicitly come from Daniel 2. 
And by quoting them, Jesus is identifying himself as Israel's Messiah, the stone which crushes the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus brings about the establishment of his kingdom through the rejection, his rejection by man, and through his sacrificial death. The son of the vineyard owner in the parable in Luke 20 accomplishes his mission through dying. The kingdom, God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom is not like the kingdoms of the world. They advance by power and by conquest and they glory in their strength. And the kingdom of God advances by suffering and by death and by persecution led through Jesus' own death. And by that death, he brings life to all who come and bow down before him, receiving entrance into his kingdom as a free gift that comes by grace through faith in Christ the King. And Jesus tells us what we're to do, Matthew six thirty three. But as for you, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. There is a time coming... Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's what the book of Daniel is all about. It's a gospel book. It's about the coming of the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and that he shall reign forever and ever. Think about that. You need to pray. Take a moment to do that and then I'll close.